Welcome back to the film experience. This is the season finale of the Supporting Actress Smackdown. Now, if you haven't been following along, in the Supporting Actress Smackdown, we pick a specific Oscar vintage and we discuss that film year and those films and those actresses um, from the Oscars Best Supporting Actress race. We thought we'd end with a real banger, 1987, um, so we get to discuss the erotic thriller Fatal Attraction, the perfect should-have-won-best-picture Moonstruck, the comedy Throw Mama from the Train, the senior citizen drama Wales of August, which was adapted from a play, and the disability drama Gabby, A True Story. Uh, so we'll be talking about the actresses Norma Leandro, Anne Archer, Olympia Dukakis, Anne Ramsey, and Anne Southern. There were a lot of Anne's that year. Now, this season of the Supporting Actress Smackdown uh, was supersized, um, and we started it, we planned the double-sized season specifically because of the COVID-19 lockdown, um, and then the pandemic just never ended, <laughs> so we could have spaced them out much further, but we basically recorded all of them in the summer, so this was recorded a few months ago, um, but the finale has finally arrived. I'm your host, Nathaniel. Now, let's meet the panel. Very excited to welcome back to the film experience, Manuel Buttoncourt. Oh, hey, 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 everyone! I feel like I'm I'm shouting or saying hi into the void, but hopefully people are people are listening. <laughs> I'm a film critic and culture writer. I'm the recent author of Judy at Carnegie Hall, which was just published by Bloomsbury Press, which is all about um, Judy's fabulous uh, 1961 concert. Um, and I'm also the co-author and a contributing uh, one of the contributing authors to the middle grade graphic novel, The Cardboard Kingdom, um, and its sequel, which is coming out uh, next year in 2021. And I've already, your Judy Garland book has already become my gift for people. I've already bought two gifts for people of that book. Perfect. It's a, it, it makes for a perfect gift. So coming up in the holidays, you know, gift it to everyone you know, everyone who knows Judy, who should know Judy. Yeah. Um, it's great. And it's small and it's petite, so it's perfect. Thank you for joining us today. And then we have Otto Essendo, the actor. Yes. How are you? Um, hi, everybody. Yes, my name is Otto Essendo. Um, I am an actor. Um, I guess I'm going to be, well, I guess. I am going to be on the upcoming Netflix show called Away. It's about the exploration of space and trying to attempt to go to Mars. Uh, and I play an astronaut there. And I've been working in television and film for about 25 years, so I've done a whole bunch of stuff, and I love being an actor. I actually graduated um, chemical engineering school and then became an actor, so that's what my life is, and uh, I love it. And got no kids, so that's great. <laughs> and then you've had, um, and as an actor, you can have a million careers. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we have Naveen Kumar. Uh, I'm I'm not a chemical engineer, I have to say. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I am a, a cultural critic and writer, uh, freelance, uh, recent work on uh, them.us, The Daily Beast, Hollywood Reporter. Uh, I'm very happy to be here. Great. And uh, Kathia Woods? Hey, I'm happy to be here. Um, I am a film TV critic. I have my own site, Couple Soul Show, but I also have written for others. I just had a lovely piece drop um, on the playlist, which is me interviewing Kevin Beaumont about the 24th, which is, is a really important piece of work. Um, I used to cover music, but then at some point I just got at that age where I was a little bit too old to be pushed around in the crowd and 
<laughs> figure out what shoes I can wear at a venue that I know was going to have beer and all kinds of other things I couldn't identify. So while I still love music, I do believe that is for someone that is a little bit younger and, um, you know, may not be so fond of meeting their hearing. Yeah. Well, you can't cover everything, too. That's one of the hard things about being a freelancer. You, you sort of have to start yeah. specializing in some way to get work. Uh, well, I'm really excited to talk about 1987 with all of you. Um, we have two very famous movies and then uh, three not quite as famous movies. Uh, <laughs> but we'll start with the middle, the middle one that's uh, famous but not too famous, uh, Throw Mama from the Train. Um, and... It, uh, Manuel, in your write-up, you, you mentioned that it's it's just feels so 80s that it's uh, this whole story is about two men, you know, fantasizing about murdering women in their lives. So since it feels so 80s, I thought it would be the perfect way to jump in to travel back in time to 1987 and get us started. Yeah, for me, this was this was my first. It's a movie I heard a lot about, and I feel like I sort of knew and may have caught like scenes of it, like on you know Sunday nights when it was like flipping channels back when we used to flip channels, flip through channels. Um, so watching it for this was my first time, and I I just couldn't fathom that an entire movie about like how do I kill my wife and how do I kill my mom was a farcical comedy. Um, and, and it just seemed like so out of, out of time and it has such funny moments and it is sort of very funny and very broad, but I'm like, all I kept thinking was like, oh dear God, this, <laughs> we've moved past this rightfully. So, or like if we were made today, I feel like it would have a very different sort of sensibility. Mm -hmm. Now, Kathy, I know you loved Anne Ramsey's performance though, right? Yes, because, um, she she kind of embraced not being a likable person. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? And I think that's what makes the movie work. If you, you cannot, you know, kind of root for them to kind of pull this off, even though they're horrible murderers. Um, <laughs> it's the fact that she is everything, you know, the hair, her facial expressions. And um, for those of you that, that are a little bit younger, she's the commercials. So, um, you know, she and I like when an actor is not afraid to be dark. Like, you know, if we're gonna do it, commit all the way. And I love just again, even that walk. Dun, 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 like, you know what I mean? She's not walking. It's like she's kind of like uh, marching, you know. And and I think that added on to 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 all of the terror. Also, I love the fact that we got to see Danny DeVito in a different type of role. Uh, again, I'm going to age myself. I'm a huge taxi fan, you know, and Louis Palma was superbly obnoxious and, um, was in, and in this, you didn't get to see him be that forceful, that boastful, and he was cowering. And I think, again, it tells you a lot about an actor when you're willing to, to, to go against type and, and, and go into a space. Um, but again, um, it's just a fun, absurd, movie because you know those two are not they're they don't they want to but they just don't have the gumption and no matter you know and 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 also the fact that two people that are incompetent are working together to accomplish a task is always hilarious yeah um i i had never seen this before <laughs> and my uh my uh best friend he was like oh i'll watch that one with you because 
he was apparently obsessed with it as a kid <laughs> and his siblings <laughs> were all obsessed with it but he uh he also had a very abusive mentally ill mother so maybe that's oh. why mm-hmm. um so he just kept saying they would quote it all the time and then i was just watching it it was so dark and um but it's also like i don't know if it's like just perfect casting or if it's performance i have to admit that i waffled back and forth like is this just like a perfect casting situation or is Anne Ramsey like doing a performance? Yeah. I had no idea either um, whether she was doing a performance or whether that was her. So I thought, I mean, in, in that regard, I thought she was brilliant. And I'll just sort of uh, piggyback on Katya. What she was saying is that somebody who's just going to go for it, go for it. Um, and I also had never seen the movie, although I remember when it came out and the, the sort of hype behind it when I was a, a kid, um, and I was also a Billy Crystal fan and a Danny DeVito fan. Um, so, I, I, I mean, I, I came away quite uh, ambivalent about the movie. Um, there were hysterical moments in it, and it did feel like that 80s black comedy where, yes, we're going to kill people, and that's funny. Um, and I think um, if it was done today, it would be two women wanting to kill their bastard husbands and we'd all be like, yeah, cool. You know what I mean? Um, And it would make way more sense. Like, um, but with Am Ramsey's performance, you know, as an actor, I always go, you know, playing the, that supporting character is also very hard because especially like you have to hate her and you can't have any soft moments there, or then Danny DeVito looks like a complete asshole. So always having to play one note in every scene is gotta be is gotta be tough, especially for somebody with the chops that she has. So that must be frustrating for an actor. But uh, you know, without that, you're, the whole movie doesn't make sense, right? Just like um, uh, who is the uh, who is the ex-wife? Um, Kate Mulgrew. Kate Mulgrew, right? She was the fantastic sort of villainess, the you know untrustworthy woman. She's beautiful but she's devious and all of that stuff she has to do that or the movie bill chris billy crystal looks like a complete asshole and so again those supporting characters are so important but those brilliant actors have to play this one note to make the rest of the movie work which i'm sorry hurts hurts your ego sometimes yeah (laughs) that's an interesting perspective um now, Naveen, I know you you were glad for the nomination just because it's comedy and Oscar has trouble with that sometimes. Yeah, it's funny because uh, I uh, I can't imagine anyone actually being like this in person. You know that you're saying that you're not sure if this is just Anne Ramsey or or just giving a performance. I'm like, this is like a perfect terror, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but she's also, the, and it's funny that, you know, you say she has to be so unlikable too because she's the only person I really was rooting for in this movie, you know, it's like, <laughs> I did kind of think the two guys were just sort of like bumbling assholes. And, uh, you know, it's, I had never heard of this movie, but I was not at all surprised that it exists. <laughs> and, but I was sort of pretty wowed by the extent to which it's like explicitly about castration anxiety. You know, it's like the much too successful wife and like the mom who's so controlling. Like it was just like textbook, like sort of male anxiety and like all sort of like vomited onto these women. Um, and I, I don't know, I thought, like, she's just so terrifying. And it was, like, and it's almost, like, over the top in a way that I thought, um, 
to me was like sort of the reason why the movie like works a little bit. Like it was like, she's sort of like the linchpin of like, you know, um, just giving, like just going like all the way to the wall and like, you know, um, making a monster of this woman, but also, I don't know. I was just so glad she survived. Presumably. <laughs> yeah. Well, not eventually, but yeah, so survived sort of the, the, their, their foiled attempts. I, I love this idea of thinking, cause I, that's the other takeaway that I took from the film is the sense that like the script and the actors and the direction are doing a lot of work to get us to like Billy Crystal and Danny DeVito. Mm-hmm. I like that, that. This seems to be sort of like the only way the movie works is if Kate Mulgrew is the villainess, if the mother is a terror, if Danny DeVito is sort of like bumbling and sort of playing against type. And if Billy Crystal is also sort of like in a way playing that, that to me was always like a, an interesting tension, but it just made me recoil from the film because it was doing a lot of work seemingly. And I don't think it, this would be, this would have been, this would have just been organic in the eighties. Like this is what you did. But like to, to us now, it just feels like it's just doing so much work because there's a, like, as you say, like the sublimated male anxiety is just everywhere. And as soon as you know it, you're like, oh, that's why they're doing this. And that's why she needs to play this. And this is why. So it's, yeah. that's why to me, it felt like such a fascinating sort of like captured moment of 1980s. <laughs> um, that's a legitimate thing. I mean, I saw it in the movie theater in 1987, right? And seeing it now. But it's definitely, and also we have to remember, Billy Crystal was a star star. Again, Danny DeVito comes from this iconic show where we, like, I can quote you lines, you know, that Louis De Palma said. And if you, you know, a horrible character, no PC and also no filter, you know what I mean? And um, for a while, people thought that he wouldn't have a career beyond playing this iconic character because of his stature and some of these other things. And we all know he proved them wrong. So for Anne Ramsey to be in this film with these two people that have this huge following, I think says a lot about her. And for her, for her performance to stand out also shows you that she wasn't intimidated by these guys. She was like, I'm going to go for broke. And I'm going to have my moment. And as well as Kate, Kate was also, you know, really well known. So you have all of these dynamics. And to me, it's definitely a black comedy. Yeah. And again, it's just the idea of two very not bright people thinking they could get away with this. And just, yeah. you know, and I also love the fact that they failed. <laughs> they just showed that how miserably they failed at this. Yeah, I didn't have any film familiarity with Anne Ramsey. And but like when I was like, once I was done watching the movies and reading up a little bit on them, I realized that she was the villain of the Goonies. Yes, yeah. the mom. Yeah, she was the mom. Yeah, but I had not, I had not seen like I'm, I'm one of the even though I, you know, lived through the '80s for some reason, and everybody my age loves the Goonies. I've just never really been into it, so I had totally like blanked that out of my mind, but. But yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely a memorable performance. Um, I think you can argue about whether or not it deserved an Oscar nomination, but you know, that's that's a whole other topic that we do our little ratings for. Um, but does any anything else strike you guys about this movie that you wanted to shout out to? One thing I, I did notice uh, as I was watching, I was like, this like, the sounds familiar, this looks familiar. And it's because Ramsey's performance kept reminding me of Trunchbull in Matilda. And then it wasn't, I was like, oh, it's DeVito. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's, 
because he also directed that and that, that's sort of like my association with this sort of like because it's also this monstrous right sort of like female figure that has that has power but it yeah. it to me it felt echoey and i don't know whether it's like this is sort of how DeVito sort of wants to give these women sort of these roles and like these sort of yeah, um yeah it's interesting that DeVito is has such a like as a director he's so into like pitch black comedy and like these really because like his biggest hit was as a director was war of the roses which oh, like, right. which is also that. like re- everyone is very hateful also even like and he's not and that i think that film is stronger maybe because he doesn't try to make anybody sympathetic like kathleen right. turner and michael douglas are both just awful people in it yeah. um and i think it works better than this one because it's not asking for sympathy but that's maybe that's just me I love that movie though, War of the Roses. Oh, I haven't seen that in a while, but I, I remember. Yeah, I like that now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I didn't realize he directed Matilda. That's, yeah, uh, I gotta go back and watch that. I don't think I've ever seen that movie actually. No, I haven't seen that one either. Yeah. I always feel like I've seen everything, and then then these <laughs> events remind me that I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> and I just like just speaking about it, and I can just hear her voice. I feel like. You know, if you wanted to scare someone, get her to, like, you needed somebody to, like, either pay you back money or, you know, you have a conflict <laughs> with your neighbor, get her on the phone and it would be like, okay, it's done, you know? She does have that type of um, presence. You think of her like your substitute teacher from hell, you know what I mean? So I, I think, you know, that's something else I think that might have stood stood out and, and and again I do agree with Naveen that it's it's nice to see the Academy very rarely award somebody for performance in a comedy. Yeah and I think uh, um, I think somebody on this panel said it and I'm only realizing it now after thinking about it but like she was to me now or as I think about it the sympathetic sympathetic character because I'm watching her and I'm going, well, clearly there's something wrong, right? It's not, she's not evil. Like there's something, you know, wrong, something that happened in her past. So I just ended up feeling really, really sorry for her and that she has such a dumb son that doesn't know how to take care of her, that doesn't know how to be there for a person that's clearly in some kind of need. Um, so, yeah, and I and I kept wondering, uh, how do they get her on the train? Why is this called... <laughs> Throw my over the train. <laughs> How the hell are they gonna get her on the train? Like I don't yeah. get, you know. It doesn't take so train. long to get to the train. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I spent the whole movie waiting for it to happen. Yeah, on the train. And then, and then I was like, that's how they get her on the train. They just are. <laughs> they how? how why is she on the train? Yeah, it cut to it. Like suddenly she's there. But I do think <laughs> the title is brilliant, though. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. So memorable and so specific. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I want to go to like one of the biggest smashes of the year, Fatal Attraction. It was enormous. It had number two box office of the year. Of course, back in the 80s, you didn't have to be superheroes or sequels to become massive blockbusters. So this was like about as big as a movie could get in 1987. So um, there's just so much to discuss with this movie. But before we start, I'm just wondering if all of you had seen it before and if you had vivid first memories of seeing it. I did. I do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. I, I, for, I mean, I saw it when it came out um, and 
I, just watching it again just gave me I, I I had to stop the movie in so many parts because it just gave me so much agita, especially knowing what what happens. Right. So I remember watching it the first time, not knowing what was going to happen and sort of being too young to really understand marriage and all of that stuff. I mean, how old was I? I don't know. I'm like not that old. Um, and so now having the perspective of being a grown person and having some sort of perspective about, you know, life and relationships, like every frame of that movie, I'm like, Oh my God, this is excruciating, but in a good way. Like, I mean, my blood pressure just kept going up. Um, but it, I, I, it's a, it's a fantastic movie to me. I'm just like, oh wow, to just string me along like this, and you, you see the disaster happening, and it's just, whoo, that's a yeah, ride. Like, it's like happening in real time. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Katia, you said you had. I was. I did see it in in again in 1987. I am and looking at it now as more of a adult of 17. So my perspective, obviously, you know, and also I had a pet bunny and I was really traumatized when I saw it. And I was like, no, like (laughs) at first I was like, I hope she didn't. At first I thought she hurt the little girl. Right. Yeah. Because she was really like at that point she was unhit. She left the building. And but then I was like, holy freak. She the bunny, which in a way, when you think about it. Not that you want to see a child get killed is even more mean and more psychotic mm-hmm. of what it meant to the child. You know what I mean? You literally, and now, you know, as a mom, I'm like, wow, like you lady, you really hit below the belt. <laughs> and I think the other thing too is um, it gave you, you know, and also I like the fact that it showed that Michael Douglas was a willing participant in why she went crazy. You know what I mean? It wasn't just her um, not accepting that, that, that they had a fling, but also showing that he had a hand in all of this. He's not a victim in this. You know what I mean? Uh, the victim is the bunny, the child, the wife, you know, but he's not, he's, he's not a victim. And I also thought that um, if your blend was robbed, you know what I mean? I, she gave an amazing performance and and I think also we got to see her be sexy because unfortunately she doesn't fit into that traditional mold of what Hollywood thinks uh, is sexy and and I think she was shot beautifully and, and and sexy and 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 also showed you her rage like there are moments in that film where she's not full out like yelling but it's a controlled rage and I think that's scarier you know what I mean yeah. that scares me more when you are calm and crazy at the same time where you definitely are like, it is time to go. She is, yeah. yeah. I gotta go. If I make it out of here, we have to put a lot of distance between us. Yeah, she's just great in this movie. And I, I had heard stories about, like, her, they didn't want to cast her because of what you're saying, Kathia, like, oh, well, she's not a sexy actress or whatever. And I forget the story of how she got the part, but she had to, like, basically convince them. Yeah. And, of course, the rest is history because she was perfect for the part. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting because she has this sort of like harshness to her look, a sort of like wild, like, you know, I mean, the hair alone in this movie is just beyond. Um, but, you know, like her face, her, I feel like she became this like sort of, you know, um, sexual icon, like from this 
movie because she just like she has this sort of like wildness and you know and they have sex that's like you know very animalistic and just like you know she has no boundaries and I felt like her um her look ends up sort of being perfect for this I mean you know it's still a really hyper extreme um male fantasy and um you know sort of totally like a psychosexual like you know male obsession movie again you know where it's like there's two types of women and you know they're either the ones you protect or the ones who are trying to tear your life apart um yeah naveen i loved what you wrote about um the the art references the the ann archer being the raphaelite woman and uh glenn close being the sort of goya ask is so perfect i love that reference yeah i mean i think they're you know i don't want to i don't want to focus too much on their looks but I do think like the casting in this movie and like how you know Anne Archer like how soft and beautiful she is and like um she just has like this sort of incandescence um you know and that in comparison to Glenn Close's sort of like you know that harshness I thought was like part of what makes the movie work is those two different poles and how much you know they bring those roles off the page like you know I was noticing that screenplay was overlooked here and it sort of makes sense um, cause like on the page, you know, like these roles are kind of like, could just be like super transparent as like, oh, this is what men are most afraid of, or this is what they want. You know, it's like, it's very clear, but I thought, um, you know, the direction obviously takes it to another level and these, their two performances, I thought, you know, the way that they lift those characters off the page and sort of like give them these, these beating hearts and make them not, um, you know, they're, they're so sharp and they're so you know, um, I just thought they could have been very flat. You know, I was just like listening to the lines and you're like, oh, you know, like if I was reading this, I might be like, oh, no, I don't know about the, you know, but they're both so great. Yeah. I, have any of you heard that story Charlize Theron shared about seeing this for the first time? Like oh. apparently it was a very formative movie for her. She was like eight or nine and her mom took it, <laughs> took her to see it. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it ended up being like, she told this story in a, I think it was a Hollywood reporter round table. And like when Glenn Close was with her. So she was just like, so this is how I got the birds and the bees talk was after watching <laughs> Fatal Attraction. Cause she wow. was like, hey, what's happening? <laughs> so, wow. That is, that yeah. is heavy. Birds, bees and bunnies. Yeah, <laughs> it's a very good point, though. I think you can tell this is a man's perspective because, on the one hand, you have what straight men perceive to be what a wife is. She is beautiful. She is educated. She is social. She's someone that is an addition to him uh, and to his brand and who he is, right? Whereas Glenn is wild and, 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 and reckless, and she's who you call for a good time. She's not who you introduce to your parents. All those stereotypes are absolutely present on on that screen. And I think that's what, in a weird way, and in a super scary way, this character for Glengos was trying to say, which is like, oh, I'm good enough for a good time, but I'm not good enough to meet your family. I'm not good enough for you to acknowledge. I'm not good enough for all of those things. And she was she was rebelling at them. But I that, that is still very much. Sad to say some men will say that, oh, I like her, but she doesn't have the checklist, right? Yeah. And then it's like, oh, I definitely married her because she has all of those things, but I don't think of her as a good tie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, One of the things that... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I, I was going to say that it's, 
It's been fascinating. This is, this is a movie that I had never seen before, but I felt like I had seen before because it's okay. so, it's so iconic. Like I knew the bunny scene was coming. I knew the, I'm not going to be ignored. Dan line was like, it's I through the ether and through osmosis over like however many years, like I've just absorbed the movie. And so to finally watch it and to sort of sit down and sort of go through this ride, roller coaster ride, um, which is so tense. And it is such, it, it is such a male fantasy and such male fears um, but as I was reading more about it, um, one of the one of these theories that even bubbled up in the 19, in 1987 when it came out was this idea of like not thinking it just as sort of male heterosexual fear fears, but also as um, an AIDS fear. Right. This idea of like one wild night is going to cost you and it's going to destroy your life. Right. It's sort of this sense of like sex is dangerous and desire is dangerous and that desire and sex sort of exist should always exist outside of this nuclear family, right? This is a movie about not just protecting a woman, but protecting a family, right? Like that's sort of what's been, what the movie goes out of its way to be like, well, we can't hurt the bunny and we can't hurt the child and we can't hurt this beautiful picket fence suburban home. Cause right, like that moment when Glenn is sort of like a villainess is like in the hedges, right? Like in looking into the beautifully lit fireside <laughs> moment when he brings in the bunny, right? It's sort of this like, safe haven that that's almost like a painting right sort of like a, a bacon almost like um this is the american family and glenn is sort of this wild woman who's just out to destroy it um it's it's fascinating to me and i think it's 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 the pull of the film and i think glenn does so much of the work of making it feel much more than this sort of like thrill ride that it could have been which is also why i love the final the original ending rather than the one that they released um, cause I think it gives her, so I was hoping you could, ex- you could just tell us what's different about it. Yeah. So actually you, you can actually find it on YouTube. Um, so the originally shot ending had, uh, sort of, it doesn't have any of the bathtub scene, right? So in the ending, uh, Ann Archer is sort of getting, uh, uh she's back home from the hospital and she's taking, um, a bath and then of course Glenn comes in with a knife and tries to kill her and sort of they have to drown her and then have to shoot her and you know this this vampire has been vanquished right and sort of like the monster has been in the original film uh Glenn kills herself and frames Michael Douglas oh wow because he had been he had been there the night before so he had touched the knife right so we see that moment where he puts the knife down right again you get that close up and you're like that's uh like why would they go back and it's because the next day um, he's arrested and they're like, oh, it's because she died. And he was like, oh, and you think I did it? And he was like, well, where were you last night? And he was like, well, I was at the apartment, but I left before. Like, she was fine. But of course, his prints are all over the weapon. So he gets to serve. Like, she gets the last laugh. Uh, oh, wow. And that's so much more terrifying to me. And that's so yeah. much more um yeah, test audiences didn't like that one, though. They did not. They were like, no, we need to see her die. We need to see, and, and we need to see her die for a cause, right? It, it felt sort of like 1960s motion picture code. Like, you know, we can't have this woman out in the world. We need to contain her. Um, but, and Glenn didn't want to do the alternate ending. She was like, I don't believe it. I don't want to do it. And there's just like huge protracted fight over getting Lynn and Douglas and close back so that they could reshoot it. And eventually, you know, they did. But I think Glenn still likes the original ending better. Oh, that's probably yeah. why she got robbed. I would, I would think, you know, 
because that that kind of stuff happens. And and I I never knew that story. That's an incredible story. And it's it's a it's a pet peeve of mine when I hear something like that, because that's a brilliant ending. I, I, I hate I'm sure everybody here feels the same way. I hate being sort of pandered to as an audience member like like I'm here. I've paid my 15 bucks. Thrill me like I, I, I get life enough that I just want something to like sort of um, just pick me up and throw me down, you know what I mean? And not sort of give me that comfortable landing that everything's okay. And and that just made me think of the end of Psycho, which is one of my favorite movies. But like, if they just had stopped the freaking movie <laughs> when she, when he comes out dressed as his mom and stopped it there, but no, then you get like five minutes of like this, uh, like explaining psychology. Like it, it's like, it's so insulting to me that like you're doing this to adults. Like I'm an adult. I can, I want that final scene of him wearing his, his mom's stuff. Like, that's what I want. Like, that's amazing to me. And it's complicated. And it's something that like, I can take away and think about and unpack. I don't need a lesson after that. And so, yeah, that sounds like the, the execs called and they had some kind of, you know, test screening, as you said, and they were like, no, we need to see the woman die. So that's terrible. But I mean, the audience in, yeah. in defense, like the end of this movie is pretty amazing. Like, it as is. Is, you know, like the Ann Archer getting to sort of shoot her in the tub and like that moment when she's in the bathtub and you're like, is this that kind of movie where she's going to pop up, you know, yeah. and she's yeah. not dead, you know, it's like there's like this prolonged moment where you're like, is this that kind of movie? Like, I'm not actually sure. Cause it's sort of been like, it's so slippery in terms of like, you know, you don't get movies like this anymore where it's like, this was very big. Like, you know, at that time, that sort of like psychosexual thriller kind of thing where it's like sex and danger are, are tied up. And it's like, you know, it almost turns from like a regular old, um, like sort of New York drama into like, like, you know, horror film. Um, mm-hmm. and the end, I just feel like, um, it takes enough turns that it's like, I mean, the water dripping from the ceiling, like the tea kettle, you know, the like blood on the hearth leg with the knife. I mean, it's like, I, in defense of the ending, I think it's like pretty brilliant as well. Well, and I think, I think that Glenn, even though she didn't want to do the new, the, the ending everyone knows, I think it's a testament to her performance that, that it works so perfectly. And it doesn't, and it feels so coherent still, even though it was like sort of forced on the movie. It's yeah. also not like a feel good ending. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. 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 I think the idea was like, you know, if you thought about having an affair, if you were in the midst of having an affair, you were like, let me end this. <laughs> <laughs> let me just end yeah. this because I definitely, you know, don't, 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 don't want that. But um, yeah, it's definitely a movie that you will not forget. Yeah, the, this this made me so nostalgic for erotic thrillers, which were very big in the late '80s and early '90s. Yeah, like, yeah. Just don't make them anymore. Yeah, totally. And the other thing is that you know we were talking about the the other two movies that we just saw, and I was sort of talking about the you know giving a supporting actor one note so that they can support the sort of thrust of the movie. But like, there's such a clear difference when the supporting actor has a lot of stuff to do. And for me, um, when, when uh, Ann Archer gets the news, like when she discovers that, oh, it's an affair and she puts her head down, like she hears the, she goes, isn't it an affair? And he, he acknowledges and she just puts her head down and in like a millisecond picks it up and it looks like she's aged a million years. That was, I was like, that's, that's why you get Oscar. Like, I'm like, that is 
boom. And then it became, to me, her movie. And I'm a huge Glenn Close fan. I love Glenn Close. I've worked next to her before. She's amazing. And I'm like, if you can sort of take a movie from Glenn, girl. <laughs> Ooh, and just those moments, I was like, get it, get it. So that, that was lovely. That was amazing. Yeah, that scene is incredible. Like the work she, like that moment when she finds out, I thought it was just, yeah, insane. I think that choice too, because, you know, most of us, I mean, if you hear news like that, you don't go automatically into anger. You're still trying to say, did you say what I think you said? You know what I mean? And I like the fact that they took that route where she's like, what? Yeah. Like, Really, and she's putting the puzzle together in that minute. Like, when did it happen? This person is, is has invaded her space, and it's because of you. Yeah. All of that is 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 definitely, I think, how most of us would react. You know what I mean? And then it's like, all right, we gotta go. I think it's such a good movie, actually, just across the board. Like yeah. the, the choices and the direction and the editing, I just I just think it's a great movie. It's wonderful. So one of those blockbusters that deserved to become that popular. <laughs> oh yeah. But it but it's still also a really like uh like a object of 1987 too. Even though it's like still so good, it's still it's one of these movies that's both of its time and and right. larger than that. Mm-hmm. Um. So uh. I guess so. We we do need to get through three more movies. So <laughs> let's talk about two of the ones that uh, that were very much of their time and did not survive the time. Like people don't talk about them anymore. Gabby, a true story, and Whales of August. Um, <laughs> who wants to even jump in here? <laughs> I mean, it's a generational thing, I think too. Especially like I grew up with. I mean, obviously, I'm younger, but my mom introduced me to Betty Davis. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I think she's an actress that this generation has to be introduced to. Do you know what I mean? If you walk down the street right now and you say, who's Betty Davis? I think you get more people telling you the song than the actress, which is in itself a, a problem. So I think it's you have to introduce this generation to her work and say this woman's career started way before this film. And also she has a very um, mannerism, do you know what I mean? Because she has these big eyes, you know what I mean? She uses all of that. So I think it's definitely one of those things because if, unless you're a movie lover and uh, the other film is, has a lot going on, it's very specific, mm-hmm. it explains why it kind of didn't, stand the test of time. Oh, Whales of August? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think it's 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 that. It's not because the work isn't good, but um, compared well, the, to the others. Yeah. It's well, I think it's also, it's also one of these, like, these two genres have moved away from the big screen. I feel like the types of stories you see in Gabby, like, this, to me, now reads like a Lifetime movie, or it feels like a TV, like, a, even totally. a, a well-made HBO movie, mm-hmm. right? And the same thing for Whales of August, right? It's a stage adaptation. It's just something that now I think we we now associate more with a small screen or with TV movies rather than, you know, let's go to the, let's go to the theater and watch these two older women uh, reminisce about <laughs> whales and picking grapes. And it's, 
<laughs> I love Betty Davis and it, it was a sort of a joy to sort of find this new performance and sort of that, that in a way sort of echoes her older work. Uh, right. So if you'd seen Baby Jane or if you'd seen All About Eve, there were sort of like things that she was still sort of pulling. Um, but I, I remain mystified as to uh, Anne Southern's nomination because uh, I feel like she's surrounded by so many, so much, so much stronger work and so much more moving work, right? Like Lillian Gish is sort of so great as this like sort of uh, fragile, but sort of like resilient woman. Vincent Price is sort of yeah. there. <laughs> I know, right? They're, they're all trying to do those. Yeah, he's not a wealthy flower at all. But again, you know, he was, he was bookended by these strong women. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, I think with Anne Southern, it was clearly a case of, because um, I think we've you can see this all throughout Oscar history, that sometimes people are nominated specifically because of, like, the energy they bring to a movie that is not energetic. So, like, yeah. this movie is very sort of, like, placid, and then she comes in and she even has her own theme music, like, peppy, and she's like, comes marching in. And plus, she was also a, a famous actor who had never been Oscar recognized. So I think all of those things. I, yeah, I wish the performance was more exciting um, because I love Anne Southern and other things, but um, it, I was so glad to watch it because I had never seen this one either. Yeah, I think I think what you're saying is right. It's like one of those things like give Pacino the, you know, Oscar for Scent of a Woman because, right. you know, we feel like we've met, he's been jipped for the other stuff. I, I mean, I I was not impressed by this movie and I and I say that I, I loathe sort of um critiquing other artists because I'm just like you know I know how hard it is or whatever <laughs> and I just realize I'm talking to critics so sorry I didn't mean it that way <laughs> um, I really didn't mean that it wasn't uh, I wasn't being shady um but it, it's funny um I I started watching it and I was like this sounds like a play it sounds like this sounds like I'm at and this is no offense either. It sounds like I'm at a regional theater watching this quaint little play in like, you know, Poughkeepsie. Do you know what I mean? And, and I'm looking at these, you know, Titanic actors and I'm like, am I thinking this is great because I'm looking at the legendary Bill, uh, uh, um, Betty Davis and Lillian Gish, or is it just like, it's an okay movie. Do you know what I mean? And that's, kind of what I came away from and the same way I was like well why why did Ann Southern get a nomination for this no disrespect to Ann Southern but I was like eh. like there there was no turn there was nothing that she could do but sort of show up and be bright and redheaded right I was like okay <laughs> um so, so it was interesting say, especially go ahead yeah no I will say Otto though that even though you feel that way I thought what you pointed out in your little blurb it mm -hmm. that was very spot on because I mm -hmm. think it's the most interesting part of the performance that when she's apologizing to Lillian, yeah. you get this feeling like the friendship is over. Yes. Yes. She's trying to make amends. And I think that's a testament. So it's interesting that you feel that way, but, and yet you zeroed right in on, I think the most special moment in her performance. Yeah. That's, I, I feel like, like um, if I'm watching this from a, a sort of uh, a level of why did somebody get nominated, especially a supporting role, like I keep saying, where a lot of times you're given one note, like where is the change that then allows you as the, the watcher to go, ooh, there was, there was another layer or there's another several layers under that one note that they are being made to play. And that's what I was like, oh, 
there it is like that the, the, the scales falling from her eyes and her like not saying sorry but like really pleading for this friendship that she could see in my mind was ended and the sort of like okay bye i'll see you later no <laughs> <laughs> not happening this is over yeah. <laughs> they're gonna uh, check those whales out yeah naveen I, I loved what you said about that you watch it but you couldn't tell you know if you had to describe what she had to do in the movie you couldn't say because i one of the things i do for these smackdowns is like um before like your little blurbs and the the podcast i list like a synopsis of the movie specifically for that character and i I got to her and I couldn't, I was like, uh, she visits her neighbor. (laughs) (laughs) Like I couldn't, I usually you can, you know, spin it. So it makes it sound like the movie's about them somehow, which is like the fun of, I think, looking at supporting performances. So, yeah. And I do agree with that. The Academy is notorious. Oh, you've lived long enough. You know, so let's put you in there because we've ignored you for your work that's been around for 40 years. Right. You know, and it's, it's it's almost awful because, you know, these folks are finally having their moment. They get dressed up and everybody, you know, it's, it's like a nostalgia moment. And it's really, but deep down, you know, they're not going to win. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. I don't know if it's worse, you know, yay, you're acknowledging them. But then it's like, well, you just basically ask them to get dressed up so that they can be <laughs> publicly disappointed. Yeah. I think I think after the length of her career, she was probably thrilled to be yeah. recognized. Though so. yeah, <laughs> I, I you know obviously if you're going to introduce anyone to Betty Davis or anyone else in this movie, like this is not the movie you would choose. Yeah, um, I almost wish it were like more. Uh, I wish it were like so over the top, like you know, sort of insular that it was like camp, but it was just kind of like a bore. <laughs> um, you know, like some, you know, if it, if it, it has all these women in it and you think like, oh, you know, even in this sort of like, you know, sort of placid, like play adaptation, like it could be, it could go to that level of like, you know, the sort of beauties, like, you know, like a almost like a gray gardens type thing, but it doesn't really go there. Like I just was kind of like, like it just kind of washed over me and I was like, what, what was that? I don't really know. Yeah, it's a, I mean, and it does feel like a missed opportunity in that way because not only for what you're saying, but also because the, the roles do actually, it's one of these meta things where you can actually see traces of Lillian Gish's career and Betty Davis's career in this, in, in the actual characters. So it seems like it would be this like great vehicle, but you know, some, some pieces of our of film and television, they don't just don't, they probably just don't come out as well as people hoped when they, started them. And I agree with Manuel. This may have been better served for some for a medium like Netflix or Amazon, which of course didn't exist at that time, because it it is a play and to, to, to make you feel a little bit not more intimate, you know what I mean? Because as plays are that interplay between audience and 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 and, and, and the actors and, and not everything translates well for the for the big screen. So I definitely think we we may feel a little differently about it had we been introduced to this work in a more intimate setting. Yeah. Yeah, or if we had seen it on stage. Like there yeah. were moments where I was just like, this would probably be moving in in a in a very specifically in a stage way where, you know, like stage everything is kind of abstracted. So like if you have like a scene where two women are reminiscing, they're staring out into the audience, into the pitch blackness of the audience. And they're talking about these whales. 
that probably would have been much more moving than because in the movie I kept being like, show me the whales. Ocean right there. Show me the whales. Yeah. yeah the absence of whales in this movie was also a crime. <laughs> we have a theme going. No, tra- the train. Spoiler alert. There ain't no whales. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so Gabby, a true story. Uh, I had another one I hadn't seen, and this is rare for me to have not seen so many of, of the movies, but um, uh, Naveen, you mentioned uh, that it felt like a, a sort of laying the groundwork for my left foot, which I totally agree with. But also, it, and then I realized after the fact, after I read that you wrote that, I was like, oh my God, and it was also her left foot. I mean, so we had two, within two years, mm-hmm. there were two movies about a disabled person who could only move their left foot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I was pretty surprised that this predated that, you know, and then Daniel Day-Lewis, of course, won an Oscar for that two years later. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this definitely, uh, the, the TV movie thing, I think feels true here where it's like, you know, uh, even just like m- maybe several years after this, like in the nineties, like this kind of story did move into like the TV realm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, it, it certainly, you know, it's no diving bell and butterfly. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I found, uh, Norma's performance to be the best part. Um, you know, she was like, uh, I just, her eyes in this movie were like, I mean, it could be that the YouTube bootleg, it was like the only thing you could see was her eyes, yeah. but like she really, you know, when she looks over those reading glasses, it's just like right into your soul. Um, and you know, I thought even like, you know, when she's caught, um, Gabby, like, you know, with a, with her lover, you know, like her, the look on her face is just like, you know, um, I don't know. She really, uh, she really makes you feel a lot of things. Um, and she has this kind of like nobility and subtlety that I thought was, um, a standout in the movie overall. I, I loved the performance, her performance, and it really made me angry that the state of film preservation that, studios just don't like i'm willing to rent movies and pay for them and so when they're not available to anyone ever that makes me really angry especially if they have some sort of historical significance like a oscar nomination i'm like make it available to people that you know they have to watch like bad bootlegs because i feel like it's even if the movie uh, i i think the movie's reputation is obviously very hurt by the fact that my left foot was just such a good movie overall and it was so quickly after this one um, but I still think this was good enough to to deserve like to be still existing in some form that you can actually you know watch it. Yeah, I, li- I liked her performance as well, and I had the same comment about her eyes. It was, and probably p- one part because of the bootleg, but other otherwise, she's a fantastic actress. But it also made me think of that that old sort of magic Negro trope, right? Like, there's always the um, this, the, um, the the character from some other land that's not the same as as the white characters, right? You don't know anything about that character, and they dedicate their life to making the main character's life great, but you don't really know anything about them. And so, um, and it was funny that to me she was the the, the watchable part of the movie, but she's playing that sort of mystical, magical character which we've seen a billion times. Um, so. Anyway, that was that's 
I don't I I I came away ambivalent of uh, of that movie maybe because of that fact but again um I don't know <laughs> I don't know <laughs> was it I mean was, were they all were they all Mexican and like they were sort of light skinned and like was so they were all they the main couple uh, are supposed to be immigrants from Europe yeah. and okay. Norma is supposed like, Florencia is supposed to be Mexican and like mm-hmm. the the woman who lived like actually spoke Spanish which is that was my one biggest sort of like hurdle that I couldn't get over I was like why is everyone speaking English in Mexico City or like not in Mex- yeah. like in Mexico and I think it it adds to sort of that uh, confusion you're like well if is she is she Mexican is she is she not? Uh, I mean, the fact that also Norma Leandra is Argentinian and not Mexican, it, it sort of adds, an, adds another layer. Um, but to me, yeah, her stillness is just so captivating. Mm-hmm. And for a performance that's so reactive, right, because she's rarely doing something. She's usually like looking or paying attention. You always felt her. And I think that that, that was a, that's a strength that even not working in her own first language and working in a, in a movie that really doesn't want to make room for her or like doesn't, isn't really that interested in that, um, that she's able to sort of like run away with it. I, I thought it was fantastic. I was also, and this is because of the, the, the bootleg. I was like, who is this, the leading actress? Why does she look familiar? And it's because she's Val from the nanny. And really? I just could not, <laughs> I can't get that out of my head now. And I was like, this is the same woman. <laughs> Oh no the 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 well Liv Ullman that plays the mom. Yeah no I mean Gabby but Gabby oh Gabby okay Gabby plays like from Fran Drescher's nanny. Oh. She's Fran Drescher's best friend Val. That's amazing. Wow. Um, <laughs> I remain like what it seems like such a we like this Oscar nominated movie and then like a couple of years later you're playing this like kooky and amazing character in one of my favorite childhood sitcoms. Wow, I didn't know that. Learn something new today. Put that on the trivia chart. <laughs> well, we are uh, running out of time, so we have to talk about Moonstruck. Oh man, it's. I'm sorry, this movie's perfect. Dude. All of you love it, dude. Um, <laughs> Moonstruck was a movie that I had never seen and was always on my list. And you know, I um um I, I think uh, Manuel talked about the, the sort of osmosis of like having it in the cultural sort of zeitgeist. So like you, you remember Nicolas Cage with the hand and you remember snap out of it. Right. But I've never seen the movie. And for me, it, it's, it's a, I'm sorry, I'm going to curse. It's a fucking amazing movie. And when, for me, when things are, when people are doing things amazing, whether it's, uh, I don't know, sports or acting or dancing or whatever, I just start weeping because I'm just like, it's just so good. And, and I cannot believe that I haven't seen it in the 40 years that it's been out. So like I, on this computer monitor is where I was watching it and just sitting in this chair, weeping from almost moment one till the end. I was like, I cannot believe how good this movie is. And it was in its old New York and Cher is incredible. And Nick Cage is not crazy. He's doing like young strapping. Oh my God. And Olympia Dukakis murders it. I'm like, oh, there you go. Here's another supporting character 
who's given a bunch of shit to do. And she is so like, I was like, oh, I get this. So it's funny watching this movie, Fatal Attraction, in juxtaposed with the other movies. It's like, it's a completely different landscape. It's com- like completely different leagues of movies and performances. But I, I'm so glad I've done this only because it, it made me watch Moonstruck. And now it's one of my favorite movies ever. Like, yeah, I'm no hyperbole. I mean, it's, it, uh, yeah, what you're saying, everything, what you're saying, but one, one thing that struck, struck me about that is even though it is such a movie and such a perfect movie, I kept thinking, I've seen it so many times, but every time I see it, I think this would be a great play. And the guy who wrote it was actually a playwright. He's the oh. same guy who wrote Doubt. Um, so yeah, John, oh, John, wow. John Patrick Shanley. This was like his, um, his Oscar moment. Like he wrote this yeah. screenplay and it sort of put him on the map. And now, He's been a playwright primarily for the past, you know, since yeah. then. Um, and, and it's just like, it's so funny because it feels so cinematic. But then if you really, really think about it, it's basically, it could be the same movie with just scenes around that table. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, so good. Um, I love that film. And I also love the fact that because a lot of years, a lot of, um, for a lot of years, Cher was given a lot of flack. Is she legitimately a good actress? And I'm like, yeah. look, it's no good. Hello? Uh, and, you know, and all these other roles. And in this, all the things that they critique her for, she didn't have in her arsenal. You know, the fact that she was playing, uh, she was, you know, because Sherry's always known for being, looking amazing for a woman of her age and all yeah. these other things. And those were not things that, that were given to her in this film. You know what I mean? And, and and she showed very much that she's very much a good actress. Um, I, and again, a lot of people weren't familiar with Olympia Dukakis and this yeah. kind of too. You know, people always act like when these moments happen that this person just, you know, started acting last week and they, <laughs> they, they, they got this role and now they're on their way. But in reality, they've been struggling and, and, and chopping away and, and they finally had the intersection. Uh, again, you know, we, we, I know we forget because we know more about Nicholas's personal life and all his other woes and the craziness. But he also is, a, at the end of the day, the man can act. Absolutely. Yeah, he's crazy, but he's freaking talented. And all of those people, I mean, when you saw the film the first time, like, I kind of felt like, okay, Cher's going to get nominated. Olympia's definitely going to get nominated. And, and there may even be room for, for some of these other folks. That's how, how how good that film is. The dialogue we all can quote um, different lines. Uh, how this family communicates, you know, the yelling, and then it's like, all right, let's come together. I I love all of that uh, about this movie, and and this movie does stand the test of time. Yeah, and and what's more is I think it's better now than it was in 1980. Yeah, yeah, which is you know, the trick of classics, right? The, they, they somehow alchemize to become even greater because I loved it in 1987, but now I'm like, I thought I went to like a repertory screening of it like five years ago where Norman Jewison, the director was speaking and Olivia Dukakis was speaking. And that, that's the most recent time I'd seen it before this. And um, it was so great to see it in a movie theater with a big crowd again, because then you just mm-hmm. see all the reactions of people because the movies are so funny. Shy. In addition to having all these like little profound, like I love that the lines are kind of profound, but kind of dumb purposely at the same time. It's like all of these people like constantly like 
thinking they're smarter than they are. And like, I love that recurring thing of, let me tell you about your life. Like all the different characters, like I'm going to describe your life to you. Yeah. <laughs> Just very funny movie. Yeah. But that's typical of that background, right? Yeah. I mean, I I, I'm not Italian, but it's, <laughs> I, hear, I hear that it's very accurate from, <laughs> from Italian. I will say that like sort of mix of like the profound and like, you know, sounding kind of dumb um, uh, has worked less successfully in his more recent plays. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, it's a, you know, it's a lot, it's a tough line. He nails it here, but you know, it's, um, it hasn't worked so well since, but it's funny, you know, like looking back on this because now Olympia Dukakis is just so like, you know, she has so many, she has such a career and she's so, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like I know her quite, you know, like I know what she does. Like looking back on this movie, I was like, it seemed like so easy for her, you know, like this is something she could do in her sleep. And I think that's like me having like a, you know, looking back on it this many years later, like at the time, I'm sure it was um, more of a surprise. But so I was sort of like, did she get like swept up in the momentum for this movie? Because, you know, I really wanted Ann Archer to to win. Oh, really? (laughs) I I thought I, I wanted Ann to win too. But I did think Olympia had her story, the fact that her cousin was running for president, all of those oh, right. things made oh, for, for, for a very totally. nostalgic, great headline. You know, I mean, you know, we all love to say that the best person wins, but all these other things on top of this performance and then Cher getting the Oscar, but I definitely think she benefited from people talking about share it did not hurt her yeah. uh and 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 i think you know and at the time her performance i think was amazing but she was overshadowed in terms of the awards talk from it was all glenn, glenn. Yeah, yeah. and i mean it was all glenn and 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 so i think that all those things play into things but i definitely agree with you oh olympia the caucus wrote that share wave all the way to the statue <laughs> yeah. 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 it's not that she doesn't deserve it it's just like yeah. you know there's some there's there was like politics going on there too oh, yeah. absolutely 100%. well that's true of like all Always. of it think about Always. it like norma aleandro who's so good in gabby but i think the only reason she got nominated is because she had been the star two years earlier of the movie that won best foreign film, hmm. uh, an Argentinian movie called the official story. So she'd already been in sort of like the Oscar conversation, like two years before, even though she didn't personally benefit from it. So like all these things like career momentum and what people are talking about. Yeah. I'm like, I vote for those things as well. So like it's, it's politics. And I've always asked that question to myself. I go, why is there a best actor and a best actress? I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, why is that different, right? It's, I, I can maybe understand in sports because maybe men are just average on average bigger than women. But like, why is there, why, why are there two separate gendered categories? And that's already makes it not fair because I'm like, oh, there's no difference between Meryl Streep and Denzel. Like they're just acting. So like, who's, who's the better one? Well, Meryl's a woman and Denzel's a man, so you've got to group it that way. It's it's bizarre to me, but I I still play along. Yeah, to to me, it's it's always been about politics, also, and like I feel like a gender neutral categories tend to also lean very heavily to men. Absolutely. Um, or that if you're just thinking of what movies we now tend to think of like award worthy, tend to be Absolutely. male focused. So to me, it's like a fail safe. I was like, well, I don't want to live in a world where we have gender neutral 
categories that like just exclude actresses because the work that they do is already being deemed lesser than. Um, but yeah, at the, at the base level, you really should be thinking of sort of performances. Right. Yeah. right. Um, that's why I like it. That's actually why I like it's divided though, because it ends up always being equal, like numerically at least. Sure. Yeah. And, and, um, and more, the more the merrier. Like I, I don't want to ever limit how much we praise people doing, making great art. Like yeah. my joy in life, you know, is, yeah. is, is seeing great art and talking about it. I will say across the board, it's pretty amazing. You know, all these films are like, you know, some of them are male fantasies, but they're like great <laughs> roles for actresses in all of these films. You know, like some of them are, you know, um, I mean, you know, Moonstruck is like a share vehicle, Fatal Attraction, obviously. You know, even Gabby has like, you know, those three women in that movie are, are driving it forward and Wales of August, obviously. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's like a showcase for all of these women. Um, yeah. Mature women too. Yeah, you know, right. 30 through 50, which right. you know was was not a mainstream thing happening in 1987. You know, I mean, it's not even in 2020. Even though we're more conscious and we're more aware, we're like, you know, uh, you can pick and you can see the women that have careers over the age of 50 that that are full complex characters. I think the one thing too, just to piggyback on what you said, I have to. Which is that one thing I do like about the men and the women categories is because once in a while you do have a performance that slips in there and it gives recognition to a person that may otherwise get underlooked, especially when they're in a foreign film or they're in a small film. It drives traffic to that film, that piece of yeah. work, and it gives a recognition to, to some of the other people that help elevate that actor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I totally agree with all that, but it's always just something that I go, oh, we have to do it this way because of everything that you guys pointed out. And I always find that kind of funny, but not funny like, haha, but funny like, yeah, we're still sort of here. Yeah. Okay, so we have to wrap up, unfortunately. But uh, one thing we always do before we wrap up is just a little game that we read. I just want you to think of the five actresses we watched and recast one of them in one of the other's roles and what how would that change the role for you what do you think it would bring to the role that what what it, it's just a fun game to think about casting and and how it affects actors and how it affects roles um i i want to see ann ramsey play um the the neighbor in wales of august <laughs> like that is a movie i want to see you know what i mean like do something to that movie where like you know, Anne Ramsey's coming over and like, it's going to turn into a, you know, you're going to give me, you're going to make my blood pump a little bit. It would be, it would be more camp, which is what you request. Yeah. That's what I want. <laughs> Anne Ramsey picking berries. That's hard for me. Yeah. <laughs> Picture it. Imagine. Can we, can we also then flip it and have, and Southern be given something to play in Throw sure, Mama from the Train. Yeah. Um, I think like she, right, like a good meaty role that she could then just like go balls to the walls as opposed to, I'm redheaded. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely can see Betty Davis and Throw Mama from the Train. I can see her sitting there, you know, going, oh, and, oh, and smoking a cigarette, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> she, she does make that and that voice, you know what I mean? And him being like, yes, mama, you know what I mean? I, I definitely, that would have been fun to see her, you know, tackle something because she's always so 
you know, because we have such reverence for her, but just to see her be an absurdity in a movie, you know, and, and also because she, like, Anne has that raspy voice, mm-hmm. which adds to the, you know, the whole, you know, scary mom thing, but that would be fun. I would recast Danny DeVito and uh, Billy Crystal with Anne Southern and... Um, Maybe Betty, no, not Betty Davis, who, Olympia Dukakis. Like, I would want that. that. Yes, I would want to be, like, throw, I guess, Papa from the train. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) If it happens, you can go, hey, guys, and put that out there. Yeah, yeah, that would be lovely. I think Anna Archer, I would like to see her do something like the um, Norma Aliantra role in Gabby, because... I think she, one of the things I really like about, actually my favorite thing about her Fatal Attraction performance is actually not all the heavy drama stuff in the in the end, but in those early scenes where she's just contextualizing the marriage for you and contextualizing their lives in New York. And I think she's so good at just being in the room, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so like, and I thought that was what was interesting about Gabby was that we didn't really know that much about the nanny. I mean, she right. didn't really ever called by her name in the movie. It was always nanny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that would be interesting. Yeah. Anyone and else? Tip to whoever played the little daughter in Fatal Attraction, she was brilliant. Mm. Oh, yeah. She, she's kind of a queer icon, I have to say. Like, she well, was she, like, well, no, I'm just, I'd like, she's like kind of like oh, non binary in the short movie. Haircut and all yeah, that. but yeah. it's just like a little bit queer coded, which I loved. Yeah. Yeah, she was great. The kid, when she finally understood what her mother was trying to tell her, the expression, and which is hard to get a kid. First of all, you don't want to traumatize her from yeah. never buying a rabbit in real life time, and I'm sure they didn't boil a real rabbit, so you got to break all of that down. <laughs> and that's like, but we still need you to pretend like yeah. she did do that. Well, uh, apparently it was Michael Douglas like berating her to get her to cry off, oh, off camera. Oh no. <laughs> oh, no. And then be like, no, 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 no. It's okay. But now that we have, we're on camera, but so oh, there yeah. might've been some slight traumatizing because I guess that piled acting laws in 1987 were a lot looser <laughs> and you just get away with everything. Yeah. Oh my God. Mm. Uh, well, the, girl. this has been so much fun talking about this year with you guys. Um, thank you so much for doing this. Um, so as we're going, um, if you want to, recommend anything from 87 we didn't discuss if you have a favorite 87 movie and just tell the um if you want to take a second um you don't have to but um and uh or any movie from the late 80s if you don't know the years that you would recommend to people and then uh tell us where you where we can see or read you next uh so once again i want to uh thank the panel this is a great discussion about 1987 and these uh very interesting movies. Um, thank you, Emmanuel Bettencourt. Thank you for having me. If there's anything from 1987, everyone should watch, other than, of course, uh, Moonstruck and Fatal Attraction, is, I think, Maurice, a uh, queer classic that uh, will make you fall even more in love with uh, the lovely Hugh Grant. Um, in terms of catching me or things you'll read for me, coming up you can always uh follow me on twitter uh b manuel or my website mbetancourt.com i have freelance pieces coming out um 
all the time. And then, yeah, Judy book is out uh, wherever books are sold. Uh, please support your independent bookstore. Um, so use bookshop.org if you want, rather than that other online retailer that we <laughs> shall not speak of. Um, and then, yeah, our sequel to Cardboard Kingdom, uh, if you have any kids in your life, is coming out next summer. And that book is, I can also recommend that one. Very good book, uh, Cardboard Kingdom. Um, and then uh, thank you, Otto Ascendo. Uh, thank you. This was a lot of fun. Um, I, I guess, like I said in the beginning, you can watch Away, which launches on Netflix September 4th. Um, there's also Tales from the Loop on Amazon, uh, currently streaming, and there's a couple of other stuff um, from the 80s. I don't know. I can't pinpoint the years, so I'm not even sure if this was in the 80s, but I have a mentor that I'm talking about writing with, a 13-year-old kid who's wonderful, and I got him to watch Aliens for the first time. Oh. And I, for me, that movie is like so perfect. Um, just in, just as an 80s sort of action movie that still sort of, still sort of translates to me now. Close. Right? Yeah. So if it's maybe it's early 90s, but I think it's 80s. I, I don't know. But it's anyway, 80, that would be. So it's perfect. 80s next right for this year. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Just there. So that's, that's me. Okay. And Naveen Kumar? Uh, so on my list from 1987 is uh, Broadcast News, which was another big uh, Oscar film that year. Um, and there's a couple of connections. Uh, so this was also a big year for for Nicolas Cage. Um, it was the same year uh, as Moonstruck Raising Arizona is also 1987. Um, and Holly Hunter is in both Raising Arizona and uh, Broadcast News. Uh so I'm, I, I think I'm going to watch, I'm, I'm excited to watch both of those, have a Holly Hunter uh, moment. You can uh, have to go wrong. Kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> go wrong with that double feature. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that'll round out my 87 uh, phase and, of quarantine and, movie watching. <laughs> and any uh, upcoming things from you? Uh, you can always uh, follow me on Twitter. It's at... Mr. Underscore Naveen Kumar, um, or check out my website, Naveen Kumar Writes. Um, Mike Manuel, I've got uh, stuff coming out uh, regularly. Uh, it's the best place to find it. And finally, last but not least, Katia Woods. Um, all right. So for, for 1987, I'm going to go Last Boys. I'm going to go Cult Classic. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Keeper Sutherland, The Two Corys. Uh, it is just a fun movie. It, if you just want to escape, and I think we all deserve that with everything going on, it is just um, one of those movies. I know lines from that movie. It's kind of absurd, and then he, he becomes a vampire. They move, and the one brother is like, you know, he's noticing the slow changes, and he's like, what is wrong with you? Like, why are you wearing sunglasses first thing in the morning? And it's just, it has a lot of people in it that are still working uh, and, and rest in peace to Corey King, who's not with us anymore. But he has given my generation a lot of classics, and this is one of them. And since we are speaking of Anne Ramsey, this was not 87, but this is definitely an 80s movie, The Goonies. Uh, you know, uh, before internet, we all had a group of friends that we hung out with, that we biked with, and it was always crushing when one of our friends moved or, you know, anything kind of disturbed that the little click of people that made your world a little bit better. 
if you have kids, I definitely, I introduced it to my daughter when she was around between 12, 13, and it's now one of her favorite movies. So again, uh, it's these both of these movies are great. Escapism, uh, for all my other pieces, um, it's on coupleofsoulshow.com, which is my site, where you can see interviews and, and reviews and, on, and, and my fun journey. And I'm simple. I am Katia underscore Woods on Twitter and Instagram and just Katia Woods on um, Facebook. Great. Uh, thank you all for coming today. And I hope you have a great uh, rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Everybody stay safe, please. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Everyone.